Good to go. Sean Roden. Yes, sir. <clears throat> the man. How you feeling right now? A little bit intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, sitting here looking at this shrine of, um, yeah, Michael Hearn. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's just a sexy beast, you know, sexy man, you know. That I could say that because I'm secure with your manhood, and <laughs> you know. But sitting here checking out the shrine make you, uh, you know, stuff like this make you think about all the hard work, you know, that we put in day in and day out, the sacrifice that's made. And you've been doing this for so long that, you know, people. I don't think people really realize like where you're coming from, and you know what you have done and accomplished. And, I mean, I've known you for a while, but some of these stuff I'm looking at and I'm like, holy crap, like, okay. It's been around, it's been <laughs> around. And, and uh, you've been around. Hold on a second, do you even age? I'm looking at all these pictures and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like. You wanna see my first cover? Um, middle row, over to the left, the muscle fitness is just my face. That shot was uh, 1990. Fun stuff. We got some history here. Yes, sir. But we got some real history. Uh, you impress me. And you don't, you impress me not for, because I think everybody's gonna understand this. I get that you're Mr. Olympia. You're the greatest in the world. Right now, you are. Greatest body there is. It hasn't hit me yet. <laughs> I don't know why. That's hard, right? Yeah. When it's you. Yeah, it's just, it's just another day in the office, as I told myself. You didn't change. You weren't Mr. Olympia a couple years ago, and you are now. You didn't change one bit. You actually, if anything, you, you went the other way. Um, and what I mean by that, because you guys don't know, is you really stayed true to who you are. Um, and and you, you became even more of, this is what I need to do. This is who I am. Um, you can try to steer me and, and, and push me. Society can try to yeah. do this, and I'm not going to waver. I know what I want. I know who I am. And something I really have been doing a lot with you is talking about family and, and uh, how incredible you are as a man with the little one. I'm still trying. It's a work in progress. <laughs> but I'm learning from you, and we've Practicing. talked about that. Yeah. We talk more about that than we do about lifting I, I and what like reps. Like, when we talk in the morning, it's never about, hey, how much do you bench? <laughs> you know, it's just about, you know, the joy of um, fatherhood and, you know, having a child and how it, you know, changes your life, um, your outlook in life, you know. I remember us talking about five years ago, you know, where you at now and having a child, like, how's your outlook? And um, I mean, it, changes, it, it humbles you. Humbles you a lot. It changes things. Yeah, it changes a lot. Yeah. I haven't asked you about the prep for Olympia or anything like that. I've only asked you about fatherhood and how it's changed you. And, and uh, we've talked about your upbringing, about your dad, um, and about the things that he did that uh, established a great foundation in who you are as a person. Let them know where you grew up. I grew up. You yeah, guys so. ready for this? And what most people would call um, a village. <laughs> um, a very small town in Jamaica, um, just outside of Kingston called St. Thomas, um, in a small little, tiny little village called Trinityville. And um, there wasn't much to it. It was country, country, country. We had, you know, basically grew up in a house that was two rooms. And, you know, I slept head to foot with my three other brothers. Um, but for us, it was paradise. I mean, there was no greater feeling every day to wake up and, you know, I could walk out my back door and there would be like an apple tree, a mango tree, you know, sugar cane, you know, everything that you could have ever needed. And right across the street was the river. Um, 45 minutes away was the beach. Um, but we grew up having everything that we needed and not what we wanted. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. Big difference, you know. When I see people complaining about stuff, I'm like, you have no idea, like, what it's like to sometimes not having um, 
running water where you have to take a bath in the river, you know. And that's freezing water. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it teaches you, you know, to appreciate little things in life um, that most people don't, you know. They just think that everything is, you know, stuff is just given their, uh, um, the expectation is that I am who I am. I'm supposed to have this. I'm entitled. And um, when you grow up like that, it's a little bit different. You know, you're very thankful. Someone, you know, I used to wear, I tell people, I used to wear hand-me-downs from my brother, from my older brother, I get his clothes. Then the clothes that I get, get to my other brother, that goes to my younger brother. So there was never, you know, Sean's getting a new shirt. Actually, this shirt, I've had <laughs> this the shirt that you're busting out of? I've had literally for maybe 15 years. I bought it at Kmart. <laughs> Nothing beats Kmart and Target. It's <laughs> one of those things like when you grow up, you appreciate when you get something that, you know, sometimes you outgrew it, but you're like, man, you know what? I love that shirt. I remember used to having to wear my brother's shirt, and now that I bought it with my own money, it's just kind of hard to get rid of it. But, you know, growing up in Jamaica, that's how life was, you know, but it was paradise for us, and, you know, we enjoy every moment of it. Um, there wasn't a day that goes by that I could ever remember complaining. So there was something, and we've talked about this, so I kind of know a little insight. There's some things that were stowed to you or, or, or you learned from your family and how your father raised you um, that have stuck with you forever. And I find the more and more people that I talk to, the most elite people are not the people that are born into um, grace and money and, and fame and stuff, but come from pretty hard, um, or, or society would say a tough uh, growing up yeah. situation and you didn't grow up with tons of money you didn't grow up in and uh, and you became such a success but you, you became the greatest in the world your body's the greatest in the world and you came from the small little place where your dad what did your dad do my dad was into construction he actually built a high school that I went to in Jamaica um, and the funny thing is you know I used to see my dad get up every day It'll be, man, 120 degree weather outside and he's out the door, he's at work. Um, and never complained. He never took a day off, never complained of a headache. He just knew that, you know, he had to provide for his family. And he just went about his merry way every single day. And, you know, as a kid, that says a lot as you grew up because you're like, wow, you know, okay, you know, up until, you know, the day that he passed away, it was, always the same thing, like a cup of coffee in the morning, outdoor. You know, even when we moved to the U.S., it was the same thing. It would be D.C. 110 degree or minus 110 degree outside. And he was out the door. You know, so for me, I've always said that bodybuilding is easy because I've watched what he did his entire life and never complained. I'm getting paid to go to the gym to work out. <laughs> It's funny you say it because I, I was saying the same thing is, is people go, how do you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and train at 4 o'clock every day? And then I come from a family of 10 where it was very similar, you, you know, dad up, off to work, mom up, off to work. And we had to help yeah. work from a young, young age. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's tough. Work. <laughs> Me working out at 4 a.m., so what? Yeah, that's, that was, as I said, that was work, you know, so... Me doing bodybuilding, it was like it was something that I love, you know. Um, it didn't start with bodybuilding. Yeah, just so bodybuilding. I, I was a soccer player. Soccer player, right? <laughs> I was a soccer player that thought I was going to end up in Europe somewhere, um, you know, playing maybe in the English Premier League or, you know, somewhere in Italy. You know, actually, I thought I was going to be playing, you know, for maybe Barcelona, you know, or. That was the goal, right? Yeah. And you, how old goal, were you at that yeah. time? No, um, my, up until, I want to say. 16, 17, I played soccer almost every single day. Every single day I played soccer. And it was, even when bodybuilding found me, it was by accident. I got dragged to the gym by a cousin that told me I need to work out to get stronger. And then the first couple of days, I, I literally, I, I couldn't understand why people would go to the gym. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
I'm like, who goes to the Why gym you to yourself? torture yourself and then wake up the next morning and do it again and do it again and do it again? And he would be like, no, you have to keep doing it. Your body will adjust. You'll get better. But I couldn't comprehend. I'm like, in Jamaica, we had cricket, we had soccer, we had track. You know, so to now be in an environment where I have to go to the gym, it was just kind of like every morning I would complain, like, you know, but why, but why, but why? And even then... I still wanted to be a soccer player. Like, even when I started bodybuilding the first couple of years in high school, it was more like, okay, it's going to be a summer thing. And you know, my goal was still to be a soccer player. And, you know, growing up in D.C. at the time, there wasn't, soccer wasn't big in the U.S. When did you come from? I came to, uh, came to the U.S. in 1990. And, like, soccer was... If you, if you weren't watching on TV, well, football, <laughs> let me say football. If you weren't watching on TV, it was, you know, the U.S. was all about basketball and baseball and, you know, and football. You know, so I spent a lot of time watching, you know, on TV. And the high school that I went to, they had a soccer team. And we were really good. Actually, we were great. But still, there was no pathway to say, you know, in other countries, there's a stepping stone. Like, you know, you get noticed, you get recognized, and you move on. And I think when MLS started their first year, and they were paying, like, $15,000, you know, for someone to play soccer, it was like, man, guys in Europe are getting, like, $50 million. <laughs> Like, seriously, like, you know, it's a sport just like anything. And then you're watching all the other major sports, and it's like, this guy just signed her, you know. $50 million contract, and you're like, you guys are paying what, you know? And even watching the other soccer team overseas, and you're like, wow, like... But I fell in love with bodybuilding. Um, what was the switch? What, what, what turned it? Okay, the switch for me was this. I was in a car accident, and I ended up cutting nine tendons. And I received a phone call saying that my scholarship was lost in another department. And... Um, that was like one of the worst things that could have happened because I had a pigskin scholarship for swimming and soccer. And of course, after this happened, I, I made a phone call. I said, hey guys, listen, I wouldn't be able to swim the first year, but I'm in rehab. And two weeks later, it was like, hey, we're so sorry. Your funds was lost in our department. And I'm like, but I can still play soccer. They're like, well, we wanted to do soccer and swimming. So I started rehabbing. And um, it's like the more I was doing that for myself, because it wasn't about rehabbing to go, you know, to college to play football and, you know, and do swimming. It was more working on myself. And I just, I fell in love with lifting. Um, and it was a great feeling because I was like, man, you know, if I didn't go to the gym and put the time in, I know what would happen. And it wasn't even about competing anymore. It was like, I'm working on me. I got tingles because of the fact that you said it was the worst thing that happened to you. And now today, sitting here, being the greatest in the world, was it? Or was it a blessing that you didn't know at the time? It was a blessing in disguise because I realized that no matter what we do in life, we are what we do, but our destiny was pre-written before we were ever born. And sometimes we try to fight it because we're like, I want to do this. You keep getting steered in the direction that you were supposed to be. And it takes, you know, some pounding sometimes. Like, listen, like, go that way. You're like, but I like this way. You're like, go that way. But that's why I felt it happened to me. It was like that way. That's, that's your purpose. And um, It's amazing. Your story is similar to uh, Tavi that I just interviewed last week. You both European, both soccer, both great. Could have been something and just amazing. Uh, both got in car accidents that changed your lives forever. And at that time, you thought it was the worst thing in the world. And, and I, now, I how many times? I mean, nice. I stayed up crying, like, because I'm like, man, you know, I thought I was going to be playing, playing for Bruce Arena, and you know, it was, you know, it's like, like, why, like, why, like, why, like, why me, like. You know, this is what I love, this is what I enjoy, but, you know, over the years, you just, you kind of says, okay, let me just embrace it. You know, first it was like, let me embrace this and see, 
what happened, but in the back of my mind, I kept seeing that soccer field getting further and further away. And the love and the passion for lifting, not bodybuilding. It was like, okay, my name's Reyes. Um, but I'm thankful. At the end of the day, you know, um, it led me down a great path. And I've had a few bumps here and there, and, but I've always seemed to end up back being a bodybuilder. You know, in 2002, I remember doing nationals. And uh, I got home, and they were like, hey, you know, my dad had lung cancer, and I was like, kill me, and I quit bodybuilding. I was like, you know, because I felt as if we spent so much time working on the outside that when your time is up, your time is up. And I quit. You know, I quit from 2002 till end of 2008. Let me ask you this. When you quit, you quit completely. You didn't go to the gym. Eating habits changed. Everything. I became an alcoholic and I just gave up. I thought it was pointless. And, um, and your dad had this issue. When, what year did that start? 2002, the day after Christmas. And they gave him three months to live. He made it almost one year. And then when he passed away, I mean, I drank any and everything um, for like seven years. You know, until I ended up in the hospital with blood in my urine. And it was kind of a wake-up call. Like, okay, this is not the path you're supposed to right. be on. You know, you went from treating your body like a, like a temple to treating like a garbage disposal. And, um, but, you know, the entire time um, I was going through that and when I decided I was going to quit, I kept hearing my dad voice. You know, and it was like, the last thing he said to me before he passed away was, when are you getting back on the stage? Oh, come on. That no, I'm serious. That is the most, that's incredible. That haunted me for seven years. All right, you're making me cry. All right, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was like the night before he passed away. Like the night we were in the hospital, he took the socks off my brother's foot, stood on the ground, looked over at me and said, hey, when are you going to get back on stage? And I'm like, uh, and I, I, we all kind of knew it then that, okay, this was his making his rounds. Yeah. Uh, then it led me back to bodybuilding because, you know, I quit cold turkey and, and I was like, I want to do one more show. Like, and did a show and ended up winning and everybody was like, oh man, this should be a pro. And... <laughs> I, I laughed because, like, the last pro show that I saw was the on or Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> I was right. just like, seriously, guys. <laughs> like, I, I saw the Arnold <laughs> and Ronnie Coleman and Flex Wheeler and Chris Kamir was on stage. Like, those guys are pro. Like, you know, here I am. I was, man. What show was that that you came back and you hit? It was the no, Delaware State. Seven. In 2009. 2009. And um, they were like... Let me just clear this up. 2009, you come back from something that was deep, bottom of the roll. And in 10 years, nine years, you're Mr. Olympia. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's impressive uh, just because, uh, like you said, you pulled yourself out of that at that point. And you came back. You know what, to, to date, man, that's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Wake up one morning, go to the bathroom, and you pee in blood. The normal person would go, oh, shit. <laughs> Let me go to the hospital. I'm like, man, what did I do last night? <laughs> you know, I'm like, eh. yeah, I went to work. Got off work, walked to the liquor store, came home, drank some more, played some video games. Woke up the next morning and I'm like, huh, man, like, it still doesn't hit me, like, and I did the same thing. I was like, oh, oh well, you know, drank that like two more days and then that Monday, I remember walking into work, I was doing the kitchen and bathroom design and I said, hey, Jimmy, <laughs> I was like, how do you know you have a problem with your prostate? And he goes, what? <laughs> and I'm like, no, seriously, he goes, Sean, you're too young to worry about your prostate. I'm like, no, but seriously, like, 
And I was like, well, it's been like four or five days I've been peeing blood. And he goes, what? <laughs> he goes, man, you need, you need to go to the emergency room. I'm like, ah, I'll go tomorrow. He goes, no, dude, like, you need to go right now. And I was like, hmm. All right, got in the car and I drove and I was there for three days. Hold on, no, 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 don't jump forward. Don't <laughs> jump forward, man. I need to know this. What was, you're there, you're at the hospital. Uh, you're, you're at this point where you're peeing blood and it's self-induced. You're feeling sorry for yourself. No, actually, I was just like, man, I need to get out of here. Like, I need a drink. <laughs> like, dead serious. It was like the entire time being in the hospital, I was just like, man, like, I just need to get it. Because, you know, I drank to stay numb because my dad passed away. And to me, you know, to this day, my dad is and always would be my biggest fan. He used to walk around with VHS tape in his car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so for me, it was like, I know the more I drank, I would just stay numb. And here I am, sitting in the hospital room going, fuck, oh, man, I just need a drink. I need to get out of here. And um, I'm not even worried about what's going on. It was just like, like, hey, when can I leave? Is everything okay? And it's like, seriously, dude? Like, you know, you, you know why we're keeping you here? And I'm like, I don't know, you know. Um, but I remember when I checked out, when I got home, and I'm sitting in my house. And it's funny, like, when you're sitting by yourself, you know, and you really start thinking, like, man, what am I doing to myself? And the only thing I keep hearing is my dad going, hey, when are you going to get back on stage? And I'm sitting in the same position I was the night that I got the call when they said he passed away. And I'm like, man, I can't believe I'm doing this to myself. And I remember getting up and just start pouring. Because I had, I had a wine rack in my house the size of this wall. You know, I had a hypnotic, NSC, Cavassier in my fridge. <laughs> and um, I just remember getting up and just start pouring stuff down the drain. Like, like man, I need to. What was going on? What was the mind saying? The mind was like, I, I got I to quit. I got to quit, because you know, I thought I was going to kill myself. And um, I mean, I've tried that too. I, you know, I, you know, I was suicidal at one point. Uh, but that moment, it was you know, a mixture of being depressed, being an alcoholic, being suicidal, and wanting better for myself. Well, not just for me, but for my dad. And um, you know, I just start pouring stuff down the drain and, you know, it took a minute for me to sit there and be like, man, I, I need to quit. Like, I need help. But, like, who, who do you call? Because the funny thing is, when you're a functional alcoholic, nobody knows that you're an alcoholic. Because they see you. I remember my cousin would say to me, like, dude, I thought we were just having fun for the weekend. <laughs> I'm just like, dude, I was drinking every day. But he goes, but you still got up and went to work. I'm like, I know. He goes, how? I was like, dude, I don't know. I was like, when I got off work and I wanted to drink. So now it's like, it's time for me to quit. And I'm like, if I didn't quit or try to quit that day, I would have never quit. And it couldn't be one of those where I was gonna ease myself in. It was like, I need to quit, like right now. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna do a cold turkey. I was like, if I had to do it by myself, and, and it was, like when you see a crackhead in a movie going through withdrawal, that was me for like 72 hours of one minute freezing, the next minute feel like you're burning up, throwing up, diarrhea, you name it, just, Pretty much laying in my own felt. And, um, but I knew like each day was like, okay, I need to quit, I need to quit, I need to quit, I need to quit. And, you know, when I came out on the other side, it was, I, won't, I don't want to say refreshing, it was scary because I'm like, now what? Like, I quit, but what's next? Like, are you going to be tempted every time you walk by the liquor store? Like, are you gonna ever go out? Like, like, what do you do? And, but I was like, you know what? Is it that or death? <laughs> and I just, I just quit. And the funny thing is, the only reason why I got back on stage was 
same cousin that dragged me to the gym, was bugging me to go to a show with him for months. And I was like, ah, just not my thing. I haven't been in the gym in so long. Little Debbie's and Twinkies in the holes with my best friend. And, you know, Pizza Hut was on speed dial. And he was like, no, just come. I just need you to help me. And I'm like, dude, I don't compete anymore. I don't know what bodybuilding is. And I went to a show with him. And he um, put my house to get me. And I remember sitting in the last row and I'm looking at guys that I compete against 70 years prior to that. And I'm like, what show was this? This was like, it wasn't even an NPC show. It was like a little NGA show. And I'm like, these guys are tiny. (laughs) And they were like, what? I'm like, no, seriously. Like, this is bodybuilding. Like, why are these guys competing the same weight class? And every single person that was sitting in that row started laughing. They're like, dude, seriously, you're fat, you're out of shape, and you're talking about these guys. I'm like, yeah, but it's, fuck, it's been 70 years, like, you know, at least one weight class more. And um, they're like, you know, you haven't set foot in the gym. You think you can do better than this? And my cousin, you know, started hyping it up, and, you know, he was like, hey, you know, I bet you a dollar. <laughs> And um, at the time, I was thinking, I had nothing but time, dude. <laughs> I'm not drinking anymore. I need an outlet. Like, yeah, if I was going to the gym once a week and just picking up a five-pound dumbbell for me, that was an accomplishment. And you know, at the same time, I was like, you know, this might be, again, before you were written, before you were born, your destiny was written. And I felt as if it was one of those things that was you know, kind of steer me back in the direction. Funny thing is the next morning, I had a friend of mine, Mike Moore, called me and he goes, bro, listen man, I just got a job. I'm the general manager at the Gold's Gym. I give your friends and family discount. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, <laughs> like it just seemed as if everything was just lining up where, I'm like, why well, a chance I haven't spoke to Mike in years and all of a sudden, calling me off of me a free membership. And um, I was like, you know what? I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come down, dude. And I went down and, Mike, I'm gonna tell you, I remember the first time back in the gym, trying to bench like 25 pound plates on each side. And the entire time you could hear the bar rattle like, and I'm like, what's wrong with the bar? I didn't realize I was shaking. <laughs> you know, it was like using muscles that you never thought you've ever used before. And man, I was like, keep it in your head again, man. I need a drink. Like, who like who needs this shit? You know, but I had a friend of mine that I used to train with, Kina Iliasi. And she goes, you know what? I, I train with you. And uh, man, she... This Persian girl just kicked my butt. Like, <laughs> like every day I wanted to quit. It was like, you know, just no way I'm gonna let you quit. And um, man, she beat me in the ground like every day till I was doing like acupuncture like three times three times a week, like <laughs> just to make it to the gym. So when I finally decided I was gonna do a show, because there was no timetable when I when I could do the show. So when I finally looked in the mirror, I was doing my own diet, I was doing everything. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, you know what? Um, There's a show this weekend. And it's three hours away from DC. I'm like, I'm not gonna tell anyone. <laughs> Just gonna get it back. Is this 2010? No, 2009. Oh, 2009, okay. I'm like, I'm not gonna tell anyone. Just in case. Just go and show up. Just in case I don't do so good and they get my ass handed to me. I was like, so I remember I got in the car that night before the show and I drove all by myself. Like, and I went to the show and I was so nervous. I felt like, it was my first show all over again. And um, I went out and I won. And it was, I remember pumping it backstage and he goes, are you the guest poster? Why are you here so early? And I'm like, seriously, the guy's like, but 
you know, it was, it was a good feeling. And when everyone was like, hey, you should you know, do it in North America. When you came back in 210, what did you step on stage at? So 210 was my pro debut. No, no, two, sorry, 2009. 2009. When you came back to the show. 212 pounds. 212. <laughs> yes. Um, and I did the North American way of wearing my pro card at 212. And um, I mean, even that was an eye opener for me. You know, again, it was like I did the Delaware, I won. They were like, hey, you should do the North American. And I, I kind of laughed about it because. I just didn't see myself as that caliber of bodybuilder yet. I was like, man, I haven't trained in a while. So, again, I didn't tell anyone. Four weeks later, I drove to Cleveland nine hours by myself. <laughs> and um, I remember sitting backstage watching every single person wade in. Like, literally, like, and start questioning myself, like, why, why am I here? <laughs> I was like, man, these guys are huge, like, you know. And um, it wasn't until someone said, dude, aren't you competing? I'm like, oh shit, I'm competing tomorrow. And <laughs> hadn't shaved, I haven't found someone to do tan. Like, I remember being in the Muscular Development Forum, because, you know, back then there was no social media. <laughs> right. So I'm in the Get Big, for I'm going, does anybody know someone that could tan <laughs> oh my God, in crazy. Cleveland? And um, luckily this one lady was like, listen, I have a bunch of people, but if you show up, I could squeeze you in. And I remember like, running back to the hotel, uh, driving to this other hotel 20 minutes away, and I, I sat there all night. I sat there all night. She tanned me a couple of times, and... He shaved up and got ready. Yeah, and I got ready and, you know, I ended up winning my pro card. And, and it was a great feeling, but even then it was, you got your pro card, then what? Yeah, then I did my pro debut in 2010. And you didn't do things easy. You did. You know what? I love that because it's, you go to a show, everything, you got your, your, your significant other with you, they shave you, you relax, you get tanned, everything's you going on big.com. Yeah. Who can tan me? Who can tan me? Like, I still got to shave. But all that, that you know, it was a great experience for me. I met a lot of great people. And you got some good people. That's how I met, that's how I met Mona. Is that yeah. why? Yeah. I, I need to. I, oh, oh, Mona's. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I met Mona, you know? Doing crazy stuff like that, you know? And, you know, you meet some really great people along the way that, you know, and that's what I love about the sport of bodybuilding. It's like, you know from the get-go, like, who your people's gonna be. You know, like, that's my click right there. And, um, you know, I met her, and it was just kind of like, you know, it's Mona, it's Mona, you know, yeah. Editing in chief for Muslim Fitness, her, like, everybody know Mona, you know. <laughs> if you didn't know Mona, you weren't in the sport, you know, that was the thing, so. You know, but, you know, we became really good friends and, you know, this sport brings a, a, a lot, a lot to your life, but you, you got to be able to open to it and there's going to be a few bad apples that you're just going to have to let roll off your back because you know the reason why they're there is a short term. Let me ask you this then, I know it's off subject, but you've been down and you had people around that kind of were there for you. Isn't that such a difference, those kind of people relative to the people, hey, you're Mr. Lippy, I want to hang out with you. Holy cow, you got, you got followers. I want, to, I want to be your friend. I want to be seen with you. What a difference in, in, in life. And you seem to do something that I am impressed with. Uh, you keep the realness around you, from what I can tell and what I see. Um, and Mona's a huge fan of yours and friend. But it, it's one of those things that you keep that around you and where you keep the... Uh, the, oh, you're famous guy. Uh, I want to hang around you. The, you keep those people slightly away from you, which is... I keep them real far away. <laughs> I see them at a distance. Which is, is a hard thing to do in today's society. Because yeah. you think that they're there for the good reasons, but they're not. You know, like, um, at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've learned, listen, I grew up getting a lot of quotes from my family, you know, from my mom and my dad, and, you know, it's... You'll know when the right people come along. You know, and 
you know, real will always be real no matter what. And, you know, I was having a conversation last night and I remember saying, you know, my parents always say, don't throw away your stick before you finish crossing the water. Because most people do that, they tag along and when they think that you've elevated them to another level, then it's like they forget. And then it's like, hey, I need to go back. And it's like, well, you get to where you thought you needed to be. And now you're like, hey, can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, I help you. And then you basically throw me under the bus because you thought, hey, listen, I'm where I'm at and I don't need you anymore. And it's like, you know, so I've learned over the years that you're going to have the people that you're going to trust 100%. You just have to learn to keep your circle as tight as possible. You know, and if you're able to do that, because the funny thing about bodybuilding and even social media is, social media give you the ability to pretend to be someone that you're not. Fame does the same thing also. Bodybuilding even more so because you have people that are insta-famous, people who won one show and feel as if they've made it. And then they become a different persona. At the end of the day, the same person that you go into the sport with, you gotta be able to say, I'm leaving as that person. And I think it changes people when people start recognizing who they are, then they feel as if hey, I'm somebody. So they try to play this person, they try to play a role and then when the lights are turned off and fat lady of song, then it's just like, hey guys, you know, I was just, I was just joking. For me, I'm like, I'm gonna leave the same person I came in with, whether you like me or not. I'm not gonna change who I am because of who I've become. And I can agree that that is who you are and who yeah. you've been. And I was talking to uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Tito Raymond, and we were talking about the Team Universe days and, boy, and seeing you. Um, <laughs> I'm so old school that I got to see all these guys kind of come up in this sport and, and those real people um, before social media. And yeah. I agree with you that it's an amazing thing. If you can stay true to who you are on social media, you're creating something, you're creating a connection instead yeah. of trying to sell people on something that you cannot maintain. You know, when all is said and done, then it's just kind of like, hey guys, you know, it was, it was me, it was just playing. You're like, Seriously, like, you know, you became an, can you say ass in here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you became an ass at one point. <laughs> and, you know, you've sold your soul and then all of a sudden we're supposed to do what? You know, the people that you belittled and trash, you know, now we're supposed to be like, hey guys, it's okay. You know, just bring him back, bring him back. Let's bring it in, give it a hug. And me, I'm like, I can't, like, you know, if you weren't here from the get-go and understand, like, you know, the journey and the destination, if you didn't understand who I was and you decided to be somebody that who you thought you want to be, continue to be that person. You know, I am no longer interested. Like, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I'll continue to be me. Let me, let me go into something. Um, you carry a chip on the shoulder? All the time. <laughs> I, carry, <laughs> I carry a ginormous chip on my back. Man. Okay. I use it to fuel me every single day. With social media and the hype of where you are, um, there becomes a, uh, uh, there's a great quote, I think it's like, uh, the weight the king carries or something, the burden. You are the champ and you carry a burden of that because everybody wants to beat you um, or break you down. And as of late, here we go. You ready? You ready? Some people have tried to break you. They've tried to break you down. They've tried to say things and go, this is, uh, this is not how you should show up. This is not how you should be. Um, and we know guys in the industry. And we know that you have to accept them for who they are and what they're trying to do. And they're trying to create hype. Yeah. Except that hype hurts. Um, so some people were saying things you guest posed a little while ago um, to their... Um, Point, they didn't feel that you came like what you should have um, for guest posing. Now, see, here's one thing. I, I get to guest post so much. I stopped competing 19 years ago 
so I can stay in a certain amount of shape so I can guest pose and show up like I do because I'm not trying to be Mr. Olympia. There's something I don't think the common Joe understand. You have to go in a surplus of calories. That means you need to put on weight. Um, and you got that one show, so you got to prep for a long period of time. Now, for some reason, society forgets that whole period and goes off of just what you look like at Mr. Olympia and then says, this is how you need to be all year long, which to the intelligent person, they understand that that's not feasible. You can't do that. Um, you're the most perfect human in bodybuilding world that day. And then you have to build up to that. And if you try to stay in that condition, you're just destroying your body completely. So we understand this. And also the people that talk negative understand this, even though they play like they don't. What happens when they do this? Does that hurt you? Does that, that upset you that they're trying to call you out and they say things like this and you shouldn't show up like that and, oh, Mr. Olympia's lost it and... Can I be politically correct? You could be, you could be politically <laughs> correct and you can call it because I know a lot of these guys will say stuff, but not to your face. Okay, so... I mean, there are a few people that have made a few comments and um, the problem is the few that have made comments, I've lost respect for a long time ago. So with that being said, I don't hold it against them. I'm like, you could say what you want to say right now because you're irrelevant. At one point or another, you were in my shoes and you were competing and you did what you had to do to stay healthy. And that means you took time off, you showed up, guest posing, looking like you're retired. At one point or another, you, you and you showed up fat. So for you to take it on your shoulder now and decide to bash me, I said kudos. <laughs> Seriously, I said thank you. Um, the simple fact that- Because they showed their colors? They showed their colors, one. But someone said this to me the other day. He goes, the people that are pointing fingers at you. Actually, I could say who said this. Kevin, Kevin Lavroni said to me, Sean, people are bashing you, but they've never been Mr. Olympia. They don't know what it took for you to be Mr. Olympia. They had no idea the sacrifice. They have no idea, you know, the time that you put in. Like, we all did it, but we've never accomplished that. So if you want to take time off like you've always done to reset your body and be right, he's like, who am I to judge you? He goes, so you're just trying to preserve yourself. You're trying to make sure that you stay healthy. You're not going to be a bodybuilder your entire life. So when I see these guys are like, you know, you and you and you and you and you and you should have done this and you should have done that because you're Mr. Olympia, I'm like, shit, I'm still human. <laughs> So you would rather me kill myself and look great in May, and then if I shut up in September and I look like crap, you're gonna tell me, well, you should have taken some time off and let your body rest. Not just that, in our sport, and I love this sport, I think we tend to talk, <laughs> and the future has arrived. King Titan, all oh, hell. <laughs> I love the hat. Are you just pimped out? Look at you. Straight Going pimping. Over there. <laughs> like straight up, like came in wow. with the hat on. Uh, What's going on, big guy? How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> What's going on? Did you do your curls today? Some push-ups? Jumping jacks? Oh, really? He didn't get the, the style. <laughs> I wish I could say I did that. Did you have oatmeal this morning? Does he have a Run DMC shirt on? I was just about to say, what a style. Get some Adidas right now, and it's like my Adidas. He's totally European, right? Oh, he's yeah, just straight up. Like, oh. Can I have a croissant and a small <laughs> cup of coffee? Mother. <laughs> Mother, may I please have some chocolate, please? We'll be waiting for some pictures at the end. Uh, you, wow. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, you just, he, you dressed for him. Right? I got no fashion sense, so I can't say it was me on this one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hi. 
I know they're not 21 like your dad. Mr. Olympian and like, Titan finally together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the real Titan. I know, right? <laughs> He's like, I'm the real Titan here. I don't care what they say. Like, he keeps smiling on that one. Because <laughs> it's like, I'm King oh. Titan here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. I love that. See, um, <laughs> family. Family. And that's what we've been talking yes, about. I know you were going to yeah. go and talk about the sport and stuff. Yeah. But, but let me... Finish, finish that, finish where, that. Where, where, did I, where did I cut off? You were gonna, you were gonna um, talk about how you love the sport and everything, and how, but how everybody kind of pushes you and keeps, keeps pushing. It's like you know, this sport. I love this sport, but at the end of the day, I think the mistake um, we all make is we wait until someone that we knew, some that we, someone that we were friends with, that's no longer alive or no longer competing, and then we go. Man, you know what? He should have took time off to, you know, take care of himself. You know, he was such a great guy. But we wait until something bad happened for us to say that instead of, listen, you know, I apologize if I offend anyone because I was fat and out of shape. But the Olympia is in September. It, the Olympia is in September. It's the pinnacle of our sport. And Chris Aceto always say to me, Sean, if you need to land a plane in September, you don't put your landing gear down in May. It makes no sense. The guys that looks great in May don't look great in September. For you guys out there that are going to see this and not understand, um, there's a point where you're trying to get your body better. And each year you got to get better and better because now you're the champ. You have to get better or at least get back to that same condition. And you have everything against you because time is always making us older. Exactly. So, there's things that I don't think the common Joe, and it's definitely social media, does not talk about. And all these Insta-famous trainers um, are, are so clueless in the fact of it's a ladder. you got to come back. you got to do less work at some point, and then you build back up. And you, exactly. you take your calories high, and you do less work with it. And then you come forward. And for you guys that are amateurs or just understanding this, there's an off-season. There's an off-season for football. There's an off-season for baseball. And what do they do during that time? They take time away from the sport because they're beating the sport, their bodies down. And you've got to take, as a professional, time away. And I hate that the fact that, 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 that uh, you or others got bashed for guest posing. And, and, and I see that. And I just like, if you don't understand it, and we said this earlier, it's hard to win an argument with a brilliant person. It is impossible to win an argument with an idiot. Again, my mom always say to me, if you walk up and you saw an idiot arguing with someone, just two people arguing and one is an idiot, they'll never know which one is the idiot. Because they're like, you should have known better. You knew he was an idiot before you start arguing with him. But you get in an argument with him knowing that just the mind is just not there. So, you, you know, I've learned that, that. Yeah, I just, I've learned that such a long time ago that even now, like, you know, when I make a post and someone make a negative comment, I just, I sit there sometimes, and yes, I do bite my lip. I'm like, but, you know, I always revert to, thank you for waking up this morning and coming to my page. I really appreciate the support. <laughs> Something I think the new age guys don't do is they, they're so hungry for it that they, they do everything they possibly can uh, to be the greatest bodybuilder. And so that means that they stay on the gear all year long. They, they, they try to continue to diet all year long. And then you get these guys that are 28, 29, dying of heart attacks. Uh, guys in their is young, young. I've seen, I've been here since 1990, and I've seen so many pass. And, um, and it's just that continuous grind where if you go back to the 70s, 60s, 70s, uh, early 80s, you'll see... There's photos of Arnold during his competing years where he looked like a male model. Mm -hmm. And then four months later, he's walking on stage at 237 pounds, ripped to the bone. How's that work? Because he was taking care of his body and he was being smart about it. And uh, I, I, it's an interesting thing that the, the kids today, I hope they grow up understanding, you've got to take care of your body first and foremost. Yeah. You're 40, Four. 44 now, yeah. um, the greatest in the world. And you're a father. Yes. Well, I mean, you got to give up bodybuilding at this point now because you're a father this last so couple of years, right? And yeah. and and your 40s, so you got to definitely give it up because uh, you can't you can't do this in your 40s. Why is it that you're in your 40s, you had a child, 
and you're the greatest in the world. What, what happened? Why is that against everybody else what they say? I know what it is, you know, and I told you this, I think when, when I found out I was having a child, yeah, it was one of those moments where I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. The hard part was prepping while knowing that you're having it, you're going to have a kid. My daughter was born six weeks before 2015 Olympia. And I mean, it was, it was, it was very hard prep because you embark on a journey that you've never been before, and that's fatherhood. And then you have basically your job over here. And you know that this is providing or will provide for this. Like, like, like what do you do? I basically go back to what my dad was doing, which he, he worked. You know, it was like now's the time that you can't take your foot off the gas just because. Like, you know, the later years you'll be able to enjoy that, you know, when you'll be able to say, hey, listen, you know what? I'm done competing and, you know, let me enjoy, you know, being a dad. But I, I, I prepped and, I mean, I took third at the Olympia that year. You know, the hardest part is, okay, let me back up. The day my daughter was born, and I remember being in the hospital, the first time she cried, I saw my entire life passes in front of my face, and it had nothing to do with bodybuilding. Nothing to do with bodybuilding. It was everything else but bodybuilding because I'm always going to be a dad. Bodybuilding is just a job. With that being said, I realized that now my life had a purpose and a meaning and I'm going to have to work twice as hard as I've ever worked before. <laughs> you know, being a parent, being a dad, just to stop you from being bodybuilding is now you have a purpose as far as listen when, when you're by yourself when, you, when you're providing for yourself if you wake up one morning you're tired you goes eh, I'm tired when you're providing for someone that has no understanding of the outside world they just knew that that's my dad then it's like they're dependent on you you know for their life, a roof over their head, food on the table. I just realized I had to work twice as hard. You know, I had to make, you know, big sacrifice, small sacrifice. But I knew that I had to work even harder from that moment on. So you leveled up. You didn't quit. No. You didn't, you go, oh, this is silly. I need to go get a, a nine to five and just start eating. And So some of the things I heard was, um, finally, you'll, now you're a father, uh, you'll quit this bull lifting stuff and actually be responsible. And, for, and I'm like, and I, and I agree with you on something. And, and even more so in the sense of, no, more now. I need to show him every day I get up at three. Why? Because I need to go do battle. Because that's my foundation. That creates the life I get to live. And even more, I will not miss. And, and you know Mona, the Romanian gangster, she looked at me and said, you ain't missing one day. Baby's coming out tomorrow. Get to the gym, get your training in. I'll see you there. Well, see, it's the mindset of most people. They forget that, yeah, you're having a child, but if you quit now, that's the only thing that you're going to remember and your child is going to remember. Getting down the road, like my dad quit. Why did he quit? Because he was having me, but why? You could still be a dad and still do the same thing as you. This is how you provide for your family. And I've heard that so much. It was for the longest time I heard, because most people tend are not to understand what we do. So they look at it as your bodybuilding thing, not your job. I'm like, this is my job. Like, it's not a bodybuilding thing. Like the traveling, the dieting, the training, it's, it's my job. It's not my bodybuilding thing. You know, this is not my, you know, it might look like a hobby to most people, but it is my job 24-7 to do what I do.
which will enable to provide for my child today, tomorrow, and down the road. Let me ask you this then. Let's, let's remove you and me. Let's say you uh, uh, don't make a living from it, but you stay healthy from working out. You stay healthy, um, you show discipline, you show um, uh, that it is uh, all right to make sure that you stay healthy. Because we understand that weightlifting is bone density yeah. and muscle, and that's what goes away from us as we get older. So exactly. that will keep you healthy longer. Wouldn't just the average Joe by doing his weightlifting and training and eating correctly, wouldn't that be a discipline to, to pass to a child, even if you don't make money? From even it. if you don't make money from it, because you know, even when I didn't have a child and I was going to the gym, that was, I, I used to tell people that was my time, that's me dedicating X amount of hours each day to better myself. You know, instead of me, you know, someone that was an alcoholic, that quit and you know, found it back to gym. It was an outlet for me to go to the gym and do something. You know, so someone on the outside is like, hey, you know, I'm having a child, so I need to quit working out, and then what? You've been doing it for so long to keep yourself healthy. Now's the time that you need to be healthy for your child. So if, if they can't translate that, it just, it, then we think differently. Yeah. Because uh, uh, for, for you and me, it seems like if we stay disciplined, at least we're teaching by our repetition. And our father showed that same kind of discipline with something harder than what we do. Yeah. I mean, we get to do some fun stuff. Yeah. And our parents worked their butts off. And, and, but they showed us the discipline of doing it. Um, and and it, I guess for, for you and me, it, it's our appreciation because I lost my dad. And same thing, I dropped like a bucket. Um, uh, depression, everything. We get to do it for their last name and show them that they gave us something and we can go do this and live this incredible life. Um, what can you tell these guys out here? Because the, the, something I took away from today is, uh, I know they probably want, and we'll do this in the future. We'll talk about lifting and how you diet and if you like carbohydrates and whatever and how much time in the office. We'll get to that another time because we, I know this, I know your time is so valuable, more now than ever because you're getting ready. And I know a couple hours out of the day can throw your schedule off. So we got to get you a meal. We got to get all that. But I want to know one thing. What can you tell those kids that are home right now that are going through the depression, that are going through the hardship, that the, the, the parents are divorced or somebody is dying from cancer? What can you tell them? <sighs> that and, uh, it's, it's rough, man. It's life, you know. Um, and just there's a lesson to learn, you know. There's a lesson to learn from all this, and we all go through, you know, trial and tribulation at one point or another. It's finding an outlet to pick yourself up, you know. The best thing that could have happened to me, to be honest, was me being an alcoholic because everything that I went through. Once I start telling my story, I realized there was someone else that had been down the same path, or someone that was going down the same path that I went. And to have someone openly comes out and speak about it, now they're like, man, I'm, I'm where, I'm, right now I'm where you were. You're like, and I know I'm that's going to happen here. I know there's people who are going to watch this and they're going to say, I, I'm, how did you do it? I was like, you know, first and foremost, it was the mindset of, do I want to continue to be where I'm at? Like, you know, is this where you see yourself? Like, are you willing to give up, like, right now? You're willing to throw the towel in and say, I'm done. Or does your life have a reason and a purpose? Now is the time that you pick yourself up and try to inspire and motivate someone else that's going through the same thing that you're going through. And, you know, look to your left, look to your right. I guarantee you someone that don't know what you're going through and is willing to help if they know what you're going through. My biggest mistake was I never told anyone that was going on because I felt as if, like who one who was gonna listen to me, and two, you know, I hear this so much. They were like, "Oh, well, your dad wouldn't want you to be like this." And I'm like, "I know you wouldn't want me to be like this." <laughs> like, it's, it's kind it's, of a given. Got that. You know, but you know, at the time, it was just, it was a weight that I felt as if I needed to take on on my own. You know, and I remember like talking to my brothers, and I didn't realize, even though. They weren't in the position that I was or the situation that I was, 
But after I was able to talk to them, they felt the same way. And I'm just like, wow, I thought it was just me. You know, I remember talking to my mom and she broke down crying. She was like, I feel like that every day. You know, but I thought that I was the only one that had this heavy weight in my shoulder and no one would understand, you know, if I try to talk to them, you know, but it's trying to open up and let people in and, you know, find an outlet where you're able to seek help. For me, my outlet was getting back in the gym. We are what we do. I love it, man. I love it. We got to do this again. Yes, sir. After you win the Olympia. I don't know if I can look as sexy as you, Mike. You know, looking at all these pictures, I don't know. I'm starting man. to get a little bit more intimidated. Like, give me love. I'm like, wow. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. All of this. Mona. Mo. We Let's go feed to, this man. We go to Nebraska Steakhouse. <laughs>